Today our scripture comes to us again from Paul's church, letter to the church in Rome, chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another war, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The right deliverer. Now this sometimes is kind of counterintuitive to what we long for. I, you know, you, you Young people grow up and, and idolize police officers and firefighters because they go and they rescue, right? They save. And that's who we want to be, right? We want to be the saviors. We want to be the heroes, the rescuers. Nobody really wants to be the person who needs to be rescued. And so it's easy for us to go, well, that's, that's not for me. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need rescue. I'm just fine. But Paul here... He connects with the sin that we presently live in this moment right now. The day-to-day stuff. And we are to hate this part of our life. Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. He says that even though we continue to sin, I really personally love the fact that Paul highlights this, that he continues to sin, but he hates it. He has this growing hatred of what he does wrong. See, being comfortable with our sin, that's a very dangerous place to be. There's a time when I was very comfortable with my sin, but the, the law was this ugly thing staring me in my face and actually me looking in the mirror seeing that that ugly thing staring me in the face was me and my brokenness. It forced me to come face to face with reality to see the destruction that sin has in my life. And it did take time, but eventually I've come to truly hate my sin, to hate it. But unfortunately, just a hatred of our sin is not enough to break the bonds that we have with it. Because we can celebrate victory over over sin in some areas of our life only to have it spill open into other areas and, and manifest problems in new ways. And when I see the reality of this in my life, my inability to not sin. Did I say that right? My inability. I'm not able to not sin. That's what I want. You throw in so many double negatives, you just lose track. Can't stop sinning. None of us can. And I love how Paul gives us this transparent look into his soul. 
we get to see right through and know that Paul, the greatest missionary of, of all time, was a broken sinner. It's hope for people like me and people like you. Right? So, that, so that we would never say, well, God couldn't use me because I'm not as good as Paul. And Paul would be, <laughs> you goofball, I'm the chief of sinners. We're all sinners, forgiven by the blood of Christ. And that's the beautiful piece of who we are. This is, this is really cool, too, and, and powerful, because Paul saying that I'm the chief of sinners and, and knowing that he's unable to do the good things that he wants to do, it's not as if Paul is this wild king of debauchery who's drunk every night and, and womanizing all over the place. He's, he's a clean-cut guy. He's a devout follower of Jesus. He goes to synagogue every Sabbath. He's who you want your daughters to marry. Unfortunately, no daughters ever married Saul, Paul. And sin still resides in him. Paul says, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Here Paul clarifies a little bit. We are released from our sin, and yet it continues to dwell in our flesh. We're no longer bonded to it, but it still impacts our life. And I hate how he uses that word, that sin dwells in me, right? Dwelling is not like a passing through. Dwelling is not a temporary spot. Dwelling is like this is, this is home, right? That's how rooted sin is in our life. And I, I really appreciate and, and admire Luther's morning prayer because it sets up a perspective for me during the day of how I desperately need Jesus every single day to work powerfully in my life. Luther's morning prayer has a statement that says, keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. What a great way to start every day, to, to have that mindset that says, I know I'm going to be tempted today. But Jesus, like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not a temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that when those temptations do strike, you can say, no, I remember I have asked for Jesus' power in this particular moment. And he is with me and giving strength to me that I don't have on my own. And so when I do say that prayer in the morning, it, it, it definitely helps throughout the day. Paul says, for... I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. A desire without the ability. See, there's this, this process of change that happens when, when people want change in their life. Number one, you have to realize that there is a need for change. There is a need for change. But that's not enough to change. Then a person has to want to change, desperately want to change, but that's not enough to change. A person has to be willing to do whatever it takes, a willingness to do whatever it takes to experience change. That's the only, change, that, that's the only way that change works. Now, with sin, it's a little bit different, right? With sin, the law of God that we covered last week, this good, holy, and righteous law of God shows us our need to change. Then the next step, the Holy Spirit starts working in our life to build this hatred of our sin. 
and our desire, our desire to be free from it. But here's where things are going to go a little bit differently. And that third and final step, when we are willing to do whatever it takes to change, and that's where Jesus says, no, hang on, you don't have to do everything that it takes. Let me do it in your place. Let me pay the price of your sin. And in that moment, when you grab a hold of and don't let go of that promise of Christ to take your place so that he can bring change into your life, well, that's the moment that everything changes. And the Holy Spirit begins to bring changes into who you are and what you do and what you say and who you spend time with and who you focus on. That's how change happens through this process of our sin and brokenness. See, people who are self-righteous, they struggle with that first step. The self-righteous person says, I don't even need to change. Like, God is happy with this. That's the self-righteous person. The person who celebrates cheap grace is that stuck in that second space. I, 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 uh, I know that this grace is coming. I don't have to be willing to do anything for it. In fact, I can do the exact opposite and still get it. But somebody who's had their hearts awakened to the power of life in Christ, that person, that person has the ability to say, God, I release this to you. It's yours. I'm yours. And I will follow you. Then there's this, this doo-doo section of Paul. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. See, Paul understands that the human heart is an idol-making factory, that we, we long to look for something to serve, to pour our time, to pour our resources, to pour our heart and passion into. We were designed that way. And we were designed that way because God wanted to be that focus of all of our sacrifice, all of our attention, all of our, all of our money, all of our time. But after the fall, we started seeking other gods, other hobbies, other interests, other places to spend our time, to spend our passion, to spend our energy. And that always crumbles. In fact, it just makes us want them more. And we pour more into it only to have no return come. This is who we are. This is, this is not a, an excuse to sin willy-nilly, but it's an explanation as to why we can't stop. And Paul describes this great tension, right? We have this spiritual life that has been dead to sin, that is renewed by God, that is declared righteous, that our faith is counted as righteousness, but that spiritual life is pulling in tension against this fleshly world that we still live in, these broken, sin-filled bodies that we still are wrapped up in. We know that we have been made right because of the right promise that's been given to us. But as long as we still live in this sin-infested world, we will continue to fall short. And so we daily need to remember that we have been declared to be delivered, to be made right from this fleshly body of death, and will one day have a resurrected body that is totally free from sin. Just think about that. 
Think about what it would be like to have a mind that is not in the gutter. Think about it to have a, a heart and soul to just love one another and to love God perfectly. To be free from anger. To be free from lust, from jealousy, from greed. Shoot, just think about it. What it's like to have a physical resurrected body that was free from aches and pains or cancer or disease, immune to death. That's, that's the promise that we have, that there will one day be a day where just like Adam was before the fall, we will have the capacity to not sin. We'll have both the desire and the perfect willingness to love God and others perfectly. So as we take a look at our, ourselves, our, reflect in our, in our hearts and in our minds, these are some questions that maybe can help you identify what are those, what are those idols, what are those places where you, you pour so much passion and energy into as opposed to God. And some of them aren't even that bad. Sometimes they're good things. But ask yourself, what's your greatest nightmare, aside from clowns and snakes, but like something bad to happen? I mean, I think we can universally agree those two are horrible. <laughs> At least in my life. But what do you worry about the most? What do you currently have that if it broke or become lost would cause you to feel like you couldn't go on anymore? What do you rely on to comfort yourself when things go bad or get difficult? What does your mind just naturally gravitate towards? that you think about when nothing else is happening? What makes you feel the most self-worth? What are you the most proud of? What do you really want and expect out of life that if you had right now would make you totally happy? Well, if we're honest, there's a lot of other answers besides God that we would put in place of those. But God is the only one who belongs there. It's what we were made to have there. And so we need, we need God's help to get, to get rid of this, this idol-making heart that we have. And there's three different ways that this can happen. The first is the moralizing approach, right? And here's the problem. The problem is that you are sinning in this space, in this space, and this space. Now stop it. Just stop. Stop doing it. Except we can't. We can't. And, and so when we focus just on behavior, well, then we're not approaching this deep enough. Because sin, we learned last week, is not just about the things that we do, but the things that we think, the things that we say. It's a condition of nature inside of us. We have to find out the why. So the moralizing approach doesn't work. The psychologizing approach, let's take care of that. Let's talk about the feelings, right? The problem is that you don't see that God loves you just as you are, which is absolutely true. God loves each and every person in this room fully, the exact same amount. That's an awesome thing to think about, that there's nobody in here that he loves less than somebody else. And for those self-righteous among us, there's no one here that God loves more.